You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. A PBS special on Christian music, and it was a gathering of a lot of the men and women who pioneered and led the way in some of the contemporary worship. And at a certain point, Sheila and I, we were just weeping in the living room because we were seeing some of these great men and women who have given their life to music ministry. And Jeffrey, when Stephen Curtis Chapman came up with his guitar, we were standing in the living room and we began to weep and to cry because Stephen Curtis Chapman's daughter was run over by his 15-year-old son when she was coming down when he was coming down the driveway with the family watching that moment and just crying out screaming but it was too late. And as we looked at these men and women, many of them who have been broken by immorality, some of them have fallen, some of them have been beat up in marriages and in families and some of them have gone through a great deal of suffering. And yet as we looked at them, we were standing to our feet weeping because they had given their life to music and they were still singing through tears and and broken and limping along the way. And that's what the message is about today, life with a limp. Let me ask you something. Have you been beat up, bruised up? Are you walking with a limp this morning? And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord. And Lord, as we, last night, as we looked at some of those great figures, those men and women, I thought of my own life and Sheila saw me. I just wept and cried along with them because I thought we've given our life to ministry and it's been a sometimes a long, grueling journey, but it's been refreshed by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, there'll come a day when we walk through the gates of death, when we walk and end this life of suffering and we stand before you, we collapse in your arms at the end of this race and we hear you whisper, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room who limp today. We've been bruised up. We've been beat up. Sometimes trials of our own making, suffering and scars of our own uh, in which we did. And others, dear Lord, we've been the victim of, of hurt that we just had to grapple and understand and work through. And so, Lord... I pray today that you would speak to every one of us. Lord, we thank you for worship, and we praise you, and we give you glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to take your Bibles, and I want to say thank you to the praise team. You know, last week I asked Jeffrey if they would to do half of the worship before the message, half of it after. But I have to say to you that a lot of times I get so called up into the worship, shouting and 
praising the Lord, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, how am I going to be able to preach? But if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21, because I wanted to spend just a couple of weeks reflecting on Easter. And last week we looked at uh, these women that were on their way to the tomb, and we watched them as they were probably laden down with about 70 pounds of ointments and perfumes and myrrh and frankincense of all the things that would use to embalm the body of Jesus. And the discussion was who will move the stone away. We said they kept they, they were talking, but they kept walking. God had already removed the obstacle. We talked about this. We said that a lot of times in our life, we need to be reminded that we're worrying about things that God's already taken care of. Sometimes we just need to keep walking and keep living in obedience to the Lord. There's another figure around Easter that has always tendered my heart. It's not just these women who come to the tomb, but it's Peter. And you and I know that Peter, really in all honesty, is the kind of man that, that I relate to. Uh, I like Peter. I'm, I'm comfortable with Peter. I, I think that we could have been, we could have been, uh, we could have been good friends. But like these women last week whose tomb was full and they had to go to the tomb to find out that it was empty, Peter also was going through his own battle, his own struggle. And Peter was about to be broken by the Lord. It was already in the process. Peter was going to walk with a limp. And so I want you to look at John chapter 21, because this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's after the women have gone to the tomb. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together with them. That's James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now watch the next statement. Verse 3, what does it say? I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize or did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them. Can't you see this scene? I love this. Friends! Have you caught any fish? No, they answered. Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. I think he was laughing. When they did it, they were unable to hold the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John the Beloved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. 
when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jeffrey and Ledge, this is Leo. <laughs> when you fish with Leo, Emily knows he, we catch the fish. He takes the meal, he takes the oil, he takes a loaf of white bread, he cuts up red potatoes, and it's some of the best fish you'll ever eat in your life. Jesus said to them, bring some of your fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net. Look at this, he dragged it by himself. He dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread, he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yeah, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. He said, you know, that I, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you, you, know that I, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He, he said, Lord, you, you know all things. You, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Tell you the truth, when you, Peter, were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will be stretched out, your hands will be stretched out. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. Lord, we thank you, we love you. We give you glory, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are, to be honest you, with you, when I look at this scene here, I, I see a broken man. Uh, he is, in my opinion, a man who is being broken in order to be used by God greatly. He's a man that's going to have a limp. And I, and I just wrote this down. Let me, let me ask you a question because I really believe that prior to this, Peter, this, this leader of the disciples, I believe that in all honesty, his testimony was past tense. And I want to ask you a question today. Is your testimony past tense? Let me give you something here. Never forget this if you don't hear anything else. 
When somebody asks you to share your testimony, your testimony should be what God is doing in your life right now. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life right now. Let me tell you what God's been revealing to me in my prayer life, in my study of the Scripture. So is your testimony past tense? And I can imagine that Peter's conversation, as he had been hidden in the upper room, was broken over his denial, the look of Christ when he denied him the third time, and the conviction which was eating at his soul. I can imagine that every conversation that Peter had was past tense. Is your testimony past tense? Is your Christian life characterized by these words, I remember when, or I used to, or I'll never forget, or listen to this one, I used to be so close to the Lord, or my walk at one time was so real. But is it now gravitated to just simply something that you reflect back on? I always remember a scene where a big burly man walked out, looked at this young preacher, and he said, you know, boy, he said, preachers don't preach like they used to when I was a boy. And this young preacher in his first church, scared to death, he mustered up all the energy that he had and courage, and he looked at this man, man in the door of the church, and he said, Sir, some do, but people don't listen. You don't listen like you did when you were a boy. Is your relationship, your testimony, past tense? And here's Peter, and Peter is about to be broken. Now, I'm going to go ahead and apologize now I sat last night looking over this message and I told Sheila, I said, it's just not coming together. So you're going to have to help me here. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, let me, let me say this. I want you to take a left and go to Luke chapter 5, verse 8. Because what happens in your, what, what happened in Peter's life is what can happen in our life. In other words, there are certain character traits in our life that are critical to you and I having a present tense relationship with Christ. In other words, they're critical to you and I being a follower of Jesus Christ. And when we lose these character traits, when we lose these qualities, it begins to affect our life in a negative way. And before long, we've got a past tense experience. Number one, first of all, Peter lost his humility. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 8. You see it? In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, now this is the calling that Jesus has on Simon Peter's life. Here again, they had been fishing. They hadn't called anything. And Jesus said to these men, these fishermen, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And when they did that, the Bible said they were trying to pull the net in and it was literally breaking at the seams. In this incident, when Peter comes to face Jesus, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. We've been going through the book of Titus. It's been a fascinating book. 
It's been fascinating on Wednesday night. And Titus chapter 3, I'll be honest with you, has spoken to me when Paul says to Titus, he tells him in Titus chapter 1 verse 12 and 13, he said verse 5 and 6, he says, Titus, we left you here. I left you here to build up the work, to identify elders and leaders and to disciple and train older women to disciple younger women, older men to disciple young men. And he says, Titus, I'm telling you, it's not going to be easy. These are gluttons, they're lazy, they're brutes. But we're going to change the island of Crete. And then he says in chapter 3, he says, and Titus, don't forget this, you and I, we used to be just like them. And I wrote this down. Titus 3 taught me something. It was a key difference between Paul and Peter. Paul had to correct Peter at times, yet it was Peter who had traveled with Jesus Christ for three and a half years. I don't believe Paul ever lost his humility, and it is critical to the life of a believer. Paul would refer to himself often as the chief of sinners. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he calls himself this. The danger is in your life and in my life is that if we are not careful, we lose, like Peter, our humility. Sometimes the longer we walk with Christ, we begin to get cocky. We become self-confident, arrogant. We become spiritual policemen. I've never liked people who tried to tell us what to sing or what to preach. If somebody comes to me and tells me what to preach, my friend, that's offensive to me. And if they come and try to dictate what takes place up here on this platform, we would desire that the Holy Spirit grip our worship team and our pastor as we lead you as a congregation. Apollo Creed said to Rocky in the movie Rocky Three. he told Rocky, he said, Rocky, never forget where you came from. Paul refers to himself as a persecutor, a murderer of the church. Now, I had all kinds of passages that we could go back and look at, like Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 8, 1. But Paul basically said, when they stoned Stephen under the leadership and also the guidance of the apostle Paul, Paul was holding the coats of those men who were stoning Stephen, the first martyr of the church. It's interesting that when you watch The Biggest Loser, on the finale night, when those final four come out, they walk out before an assembly, a gathering of people, even their own family, and they do something. Do you know what it is? What do they walk through? What is it? You're right. They walk through a life-size picture of what they used to look like and they walk through that. In fact, now they can do it by computer simulation. They're able to put the picture in, in, a, in a, a 3D type image beside that person so you're able to see what they used to be like and what they are now. My friend, let me tell you something. The key to your life and my life is when we never lose the humility and the humbleness of remembering what we used to look like without Christ. It's the key. 
Look at Matthew chapter 16. Take a left from Luke and go to Matthew chapter 16 because Peter is on a downward spiral and I think it had begun a long time ago. In Matthew chapter 16 verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say I the Son of Man am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now who answers here in verse 16? Simon Peter. Simon Peter answered, and I, I believe this is a powerful moment. He stands up as the spokesman of this group, and he, and he stands up and he looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the Christos, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now watch this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now look at verse 22. What's the first word there in verse 22? Peter. Peter took him aside, began to do what? Rebuke who? He's rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And look this way. In the original language, it is the picture of Jesus speaking to the disciples. Peter stands up and literally wrestles with Jesus. He puts his hands on Jesus and he says, Never, Lord, this will never happen. And in this point, it's physical even. Jesus pushes Peter away. Now watch this. Verse 23, Jesus turned. He pushes Peter away. He turns and he says to Peter, get behind me who? Wow. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Do you see it? A great confession followed by a great correction. Imagine Jesus Christ referring to you or I as Satan. I wrote this down. What happened to Peter? He was losing his humility. He scored big. There's Caesarea Philippi. He scored big and he forgot the rest of the team. You know what I'm talking about? that running back that crosses the line and forgot about the offense and the quarterback or all the rest of the team. Yes! Rah! Doing the dance, doing the jig, drawing all the attention without ever recognizing that the team members that opened up the path, made the way, did all of that. It's so easy and it's the greatest danger in the follower of Jesus Christ is the loss of of humility because when you lose that other traits begin to follow 
teachability. Look at Luke chapter 22. Go back to the right and look at Luke 22. In Luke chapter 22, it says, The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who... No, uh, 32. I'm a little bit off here. 31. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon. Here you go again. Simon, Simon. You all may, you all, the reason I relate to Peter is in many ways I'm so much like him. And, and you get this feeling here in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, that here Peter is again just messing up and stumbling along the way. He's lost his humility. And when you lose your humility, you lose your teachability. And so in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it's like Jesus looks at Peter, this big bumbling fisherman, and he goes, Simon, Simon. Just like he did when he looked at Martha. Martha, Martha. Simon, Simon. Now watch this. Don't you love this verse? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Let me tell you something. Listen closely. Satan never does anything that God doesn't first give him permission. And if you don't believe that, look at Job. Satan will tempt you, God tests you. And there's a difference. But he says, he says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now watch this, verse 33. Some of us ever know more than God knows. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Verse 34, Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Wow. I wrote this down. I thought it was interesting because I think Peter's mistake is often our mistake. We kind of depend on our own strength, don't we? Peter, Peter was a fisherman. He was a tough old bird. He drug 153 fish in a net. He drug it over by, the, took the whole disciples, the other 10 to get it in the boat or, to, or a bunch of them to get it to the shore. He goes over, picks it up and drags it over to, the, to where Jesus is by himself. He's a strong man. Peter was used to doing things his own way and his own strength. And that was his problem. He was not a humble man, and he was not a teachable man. I, I, I ran this off, Frank Sinatra's My Way lyrics. You remember that song, I Did It My Way? Listen to this. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exception. Now listen to this next part, because this is the problem sometimes in our life. I planned each charted course. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. 
Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall. I did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did it all that. And may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has naught to say the things he truly feels and not the words, listen to this, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, I did it my way. Elvis Presley was on his way to do a Las Vegas show. He was riding with Nancy Sinatra. All of a sudden, Nancy Sinatra, big limousine, they're making their way to Vegas to go do this show. Nancy Sinatra looks over at Elvis Presley and Elvis's head is down and he's weeping. And she looks at him and says, Elvis, what's wrong? Elvis said, I'm not happy. She said, Elvis, what do you mean you're not happy? You've got the whole world. You're the king of rock and roll. You're recognized everywhere. People know you all over the world. First name only basis. Uh, you have power. You have prestige. You have everything that the world can offer. Why are you not happy? Nancy Sinatra said that Elvis Presley looked at her and he said, because a long time ago, God called me to do what Jeffrey was doing a moment ago. God called me into ministry to use my talent, my ability for Christ. And I, listen to this, and I told him no. I did it my way. And he sung that song. You see, now, children, y'all listen. Keep those children quiet. I want you to ask yourself a question today. Are you teachable? Have you lost that quality? You see, the Lord was trying to warn Peter. But Peter had lost his humility. And because of that, he was full of himself rather than the Holy Spirit. And are you full of yourself or of the Holy Spirit? Who controls the decisions that you make? Peter is a gifted leader, but his leadership is flawed by a lack of humility and a teachable spirit. And let me ask you something today. Are you teachable? Do you have anybody that you would allow to speak truth into your life? Is there a thirst, a willingness to humble yourself and to say, Lord, I'm here and I'm teachable and I want to learn from the Lord. I want to learn from life and I want to learn from others. In Job chapter 42, in the beginning Satan slanders Job, slanders God, and God tells, Job, uh, God tells Satan, take your best shot. <laughs> Satan starts hitting just like Peter would be sifted like wheat. He had that Satan had to ask, so Satan asked, and God allowed Satan to sift Job. Job went through the loss of his children, his crops, his business, everything, broken. He's out there scraping the boils, festering boils, and in that moment, his wife even betrays him and says, look, curse God and die. And in that moment, Job is a broken man. He can't even stand up. 
He begins to rebel and battle with God. But in the end, Job makes these statements and it's so powerful. And I thought of my grandmother here who twisted up with arthritis, lived to be about 89 years of age, made this statement, there's always room to grow. We're always teachable. We should always be learning. Because Job, the most blameless, righteous man in the world, made this statement. He said, I had heard of thee by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye has seen thee, and I repent and I abhor myself in dust and ashes. You see, the problem was with Peter. Peter had lost his humility. Peter Peter had lost his teachability, and his leadership was flawed. But that's not the worst thing. He was leading others. What does it say in John 21? Look at it again, John chapter 21. What does it say there in verse 3? Who makes that statement? Peter makes the statement, I am going to fish. I'm going out to fish. And what did the other disciples do? They, we're going with you. You see, Peter was not teachable because he was not broken. Three statements here. We must be taught in order to mature. Number two, we may have to be broken in order to be teachable. Did you hear that? We must be, I'm hearing a lot of mumbling. And listen, children need to be kept quiet, okay? Because this is important. Number one, we must be taught in order to mature. Number two, we may have to be broken in order to be teachable. Number three, we must be taught in order to teach. Does that make sense? Until we're broken, we're probably not teachable. Because we've lost humility. Peter was brash. He was a know-it-all. He was strong-willed. I made uh, this principle. I want you to listen to this. The tragic mistake is often as leaders, we coddle some young men and women that God has brought into our lives. They are unbroken and they represent the greatest amount of potential but also the greatest threat to the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's hard to listen to those who have figured it out. They've cornered the market on a broken and worldly theology and know that if they're lucky, a few of life's knocks will humble them and break them. Some young men and women are spiritually arrogant and really the honest truth is they need to be kicked around a little bit by life so that they're broken and leaning and resting on Christ rather than their own strengths and abilities or even a theology that is tragically wrong. I made this statement, raising boys requires a strong hand but a soft heart. One writer said the crow of a rooster in the interrogation of Christ would break Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? While echoing in his head, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. One writer said a rooster for the rest of his life, the crow of a rooster was like a civil defense horn in his head. And one more statement to young parents. 
we are sometimes unaccepting, critical, trying to duplicate our best selves in our children and even among church members. Peter was arrogant, he was unbroken, he was too proud to be teachable, and Peter's teaching was this, be like me. And God would humble him, God would make him teachable, so that broken and clinging, he would finally realize, no, be like Christ. Final point, humility and teachability are lost, but why is that important? Because we lose our greatest character trait. If you lose humility, if you lose teachability, guess what else you lose? You lose mercy. There's some people in the body of Christ I would never go to if I were struggling in an area. Never. Because there's no mercy. I love to go to people who are broken and beat up, who are limping. In fact, Dwayne, I thought about you. I would go to a man like Dwayne because Dwayne limps. Once we recognize our weaknesses, our flaws, once we tragically disappoint Christ, once we come to the edge of a chasm of failure and repent, we tend to be more merciful. And we are then ready to be used. Jesus Christ likes us better broken than brash, clinging than confident. Am I making sense? And more so is what God may be saying to us today. In my book, Killing the Church, is a brief description. And the praise team can come on out. You can stand. But I need you to listen to what I'm about to say. In my, in my book, Killing the Church, is a brief description of an event in my life. It was the most dangerous moment of my tenure on this earth. In fact, let me just stop again for a moment. Because this is so important, you need to hear it. Reggie, you, you can go ahead and stand here. His ledge coming around. In my book, Killing the Church, is a brief description of an event in my life that I wrote in my journal was the most dangerous moment of my tenure on the earth. It was a dark moment in my life when I was going down the wrong road and the cost to people who love me would be excruciating. One night alone, at a critical moment of decision, a single pitcher drove me to my knees. I was broken and clinging like Jacob at the Jabbok River. It is burned in my memory. I can see it now. Me standing at the front door, and there by that door was a picture of two people that I loved dearly, 
and the direction of my life in that moment, if I walked out that door, if I continued on the path that I was going, would ultimately deeply affect the kingdom of God. If it had happened, he would not be on this earth. Ledge would not be here. Alicia would not be here. Ethan, Caleb, Titus, Silas, August would not have been here. My daughters would not be here. Life would have been tragically changed in that moment had I gone down that path. My life would have forever been altered in the lives of the people that I love. And it was in that moment standing by that door looking at a picture of two people that God broke me, collapsed me, disabled me, dropped me to my knees. And from that moment to this moment, your pastors walk with a limp. And I'll be honest with you, had it not happened, I would, I, I would not have been a merciful man. Sometimes we lose humility. And I can tell you, I'll put it bluntly, we're a pain in the butt to God and the church. Proud and arrogant, acting as if we're sinless, above reproach, better than everybody else. Pious, spiritually arrogant, spiritual policemen. But then all of a sudden, God does what a shepherd does to a sheep. You know what a shepherd will do to a sheep that wanders off? Wanders off. A shepherd will take that sheep and he'll break its leg, literally break its leg. Then he'll set that bone. Then he'll mend it and put a splint on it. And then you know what he'll do with that sheep? Because that sheep can't walk now. It's vulnerable. He takes that sheep and he puts it up on his shoulder. And everywhere the shepherd goes, he's walking around with this sheep with a broken leg who's now mending, getting better. And that, that, that sheep is around that shepherd's shoulders, hearing the heartbeat of that shepherd. And one day when that leg is mended and well, he puts that sheep down, and guess what? You know what that broken sheep that's now mended and healed, do you know what that sheep will do? What do you think that sheep does? That sheep, that sheep, everywhere the shepherd goes, that sheep's right behind him, just right behind him. He can depend on that sheep because that sheep has been broken. That sheep is humble. That sheep is leaning and resting on the shepherd. And that sheep is teachable. That sheep is a better leader to the rest of the flock. Let me tell you this. I like me better with a limp. I was looking one day at Sheila, cried a couple of weeks ago, talking about my kids. And I said, you know, I was trying to plan the future and orchestrate and do the best I could, kind of doing what I, you know, what I thought was God's will for my kids. But I said, God began to take one here, there, and God began to do things in their life. And I think sometimes the Lord would look at me and say, I like them better with me molding and shaping them and turning them in the direction that I want them to go rather than you. You see, Sheila walks with a limp. That's why she's been an unbelievable pastor's wife. Because she's broken. 
worship leader. The only reason we can worship like we do, part of it is he walks with a limp. Dwayne back there, one of the most merciful men that I know. We've known each other a long time. He's a humble man. He's teachable. He limps. He walks with a limp. Russell, you're back there nodding your head, but I thought about you, Russell. I can remember when Russell's mother died. Russell was out of the hood, gangbanger. Tough, no nonsense. They called security at CMMC. In fact, when Russell went out of the ER, he knocked the entire door, the mechanism, everything off of the hinges. Russell was a tough, almost violent, angry man. And I remember looking at security and even the cops, I think, and saying, look, let me talk to him. Me and you out there talking. Russell today walks with a limp. But what a great man. What a different man. Willie, where's Willie at? There's Willie back there. Willie said he came to this church one time for a sack lunch, and uh, he was addicted to every kind of drug and alcohol. Willie was homeless. He was ba on the streets. Willie was living a bad life. Willie asked for bus fare to get to a rehab that he had read about. He went to that rehab. God began to work in his life and turn him around. Willie walks with a limp, but boy, it sure is fun being around Willie now. You see, you may be here today and you say, you know, and that's why I don't like health and wealth theology. And I don't really care for those people that preach it, that God wants healing and no suffering. Because, you see, sometimes God breaks us in order to use us mightily. Historians say this, that Peter, under Emperor Nero in the Roman Empire... Nero burned Rome down. He burned Rome. Then he blamed the Christians. And he killed a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. He took Paul and he beheaded him. And then he took Peter. And they were going to crucify Peter. But historians say that Peter said, I'm, I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. Crucify me upside down. History says that this proud, arrogant man, full of himself, now humble and broken and teachable, that the Roman Empire crucified Peter upside down because he refused to die in the same way that Christ died. And that's why Jesus in John 21 said, Peter, one day they're going to take your hands and they're going to take you to a place that you don't want to go and you're going to die. When God breaks us, sometimes we look better to a lost world. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray. We thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. Lord, we thank you that in the midst and, and in the, the midst of your, of your tenure here on this earth in a physical body, that for each one of the men and women that came around you, that you were working and doing something in their life. We thank you for Peter. We look forward to seeing him and meeting him in heaven. I may have to apologize. I may have overread into this scripture, but I don't think so. We pray, dear Lord, for some of us in this room, we're just not very humble. We, we forgot where we came from. 
We forgot what we were saved out of. We've started losing that humility. And we pray, dear Lord, because of that, we've lost that teachability. Nobody can tell us anything anymore. We know it all. And Lord, we know that when we get like that, that brokenness and pain and suffering will come. Because sometimes the good shepherd breaks us, mends us, puts us on his shoulder near his heart, carries us until one day we're well again. And we just don't walk the same. And we're more merciful to people, more kind, more gentle, more humble. Lord, we're not there yet. I'm not there yet. Still a long ways to go. I have to say I'm sorry a lot. But Lord, we pray today if there's one here, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or girl, who today they're, they're not a Christian. They've never given their heart and their life to you and right now you're speaking to them and you're saying today is the day. Let's settle this. Let's know today that you're a Christian. Then I pray that they will repent of their sin and say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me and to be my Lord and my Savior. For others that may need to plant their life here or recommit their life or spend a moment at this altar, may they do that today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.